0: understand the need for a company to estimate the current year's annual tax expense and report it on their financial statements which if you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast you may remember is called the current provision but did you also know you need to estimate the impact of certain items on future filings those filings to be are called deferred provisions They're the second essential piece of the total provision puzzle, and they are the subject of today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cross-Border Solutions, the Fiona Show tax provision podcast. I'm your host, Matthew DeMello, and I'm so excited to have our guest today, Cross-Border Solutions tax provision expert, Michael Cavanaugh, to help us take a deep dive into deferreds. Thank you so much for being on the show, Michael.
1: Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me.
0: Just to start off, Michael, can you tell us a little bit about your background with the tax provision and why they're so important to understand?
1: I started my career in a tax department and public accounting working on corporate tax returns. I segued from public accounting into the private sector via cross-border solutions many years ago. It was so exciting working in a startup tax technology firm. At that time, we were developing a tax provision tool that was later acquired by Thomson Reuters and subsequently became the one source tax provision tool that you know today. I have since come full circle and am back across Border Solutions again, working on a new tax provision tool and essentially building a better mousetrap. Tax provisions are so important because of the impact they have on companies' financial statements. Recent studies have shown that tax reporting and tax related issues were among the leading cause of financial statements and adverse auditor opinions. If a publicly traded company were to make a material misstatement and had to restate their financial statements, it would hurt their stock price. The sensitivity of the financial statements underlines the need for accuracy in provision calculation and overall financial reporting.
0: Deferreds themselves are comprised of temporary or timing adjustments, net operating losses and tax credits. So can we get a clear picture of what we're dealing with here? Can you explain each further and how they tie into deferreds? And let's start with temporary or timing adjustments.
1: Sure, so temporary tax adjustments form the basis of the deferred provision calculation. Commonly referred to as the deferreds, the temporary items live on the balance sheet and represent items of tax, income, or expense that will be realized in the future. Temporary tax adjustments are differences between book income and taxable income that will eventually reverse or be eliminated. To put this another way, transactions that create temporary differences are recognized by both financial accounting and tax accounting but they're recognized at different times. This is why temporary differences are also known as timing differences. We can break down deferreds into, and when I say deferreds, we can break down deferreds or timing differences into different types. There are temporary timing differences, net operating losses, and tax credits. Each category is important in different ways, so let's review each one separately. As I mentioned earlier, temporary items represent differences between book and taxable income that will eventually reverse or be eliminated. To put this another way, transactions that create temporary differences are recognized by both financial accounting and tax accounting, but they're recognized at different times. This is why temporary differences are also known as timing differences. We can break down deferreds into, and when I say deferreds, we can break down deferreds or timing differences into different types. There are temporary timing differences, net operating losses, and tax credits. Each category is important in different ways, so let's review each one separately. As I mentioned earlier, temporary items represent differences between book and tax adjustments that reverse over time. As an example, Let's take a look at a depreciation expense, which is a very common temporary item and figures prominently in most provision calculations. Consider fictional ABC Corp, which acquired a new piece of machinery for its manufacturing plant at the cost of $1 million. For both book and tax purposes, ABC is entitled to fully depreciate the $1 million dollar expense. However, for book purposes, the equipment is depreciated over 10 years, while for tax purposes it is depreciated over seven years. The difference in the lifespan creates a difference in the annual depreciation amounts that will eventually work itself out over time. So ABC for book purposes is depreciating a million dollars over 10 years And that's $100,000 a year. But for tax purposes, when you divide seven into a million, you get about $143,000 over seven years. So for the first year, in year one, uh, on the books, they book a depreciation expense of $100,000. For tax purposes, they're entitled to a depreciation expense of $143,000. So what they're doing on the tax return is they're accelerating the depreciation expense by adding an additional $43,000, which correspondingly decreases taxable income. Now, they'll do that for the first seven years. But for the last three years, while they continue on the books to depreciate at $100,000, for tax purposes the asset has been completely depreciated. So all of a sudden, instead of getting 143,000, now they get nothing. And in the last three years on the tax return, instead of adding $43,000 to deductible expenses, they're now decreasing it, the depreciation expense by $100,000 because you've already exhausted that particular asset. So in this particular instance, under both book and tax, you're going to get the million-dollar depreciation expense. It's just going to happen at a different rate. That's, in a nutshell, that's how you quantify a difference between a book expense and a tax expense.
0: And can you give an example of net operating losses? I can. When explaining deferred assets and liabilities to non-accountants,
1: I always use NOLs as an example because they're easy to understand. A net operating loss represents a deferred tax asset because in future years, it will offset taxable income and reduce tax expense. Because tax expense is reduced, NOLs represent a deferred tax asset. They're always an asset on the books. NOLs are born on a company's tax return. When a company files its tax return and the deductions exceed the income for the year, the result is a net operating loss. An NOL may be carried forward to offset a company's taxable income in future years. The purpose behind this benefit will allow some form of tax relief when a company loses money in a tax year. The NOL is a mechanism to help smooth out a business tax expense during periods where companies can swing between profit and loss. As an example, let's say that ABC Company is in its first year of business and it's still working on generating a product that's ready for market. ABC knows that it has people to pay and an office to run and expects at least $250,000 in expenses in year one. In the meantime, ABC has funding an amount of a half a million dollars to keep the business afloat. As the year draws to a close, no sales have been made, so there's no income. And as anticipated, ABC has incurred a net operating loss of $250,000. Let's say for the sake of argument that the book and tax loss of two hundred fifty dollars is the same. When ABC Corp files its first federal tax return, it will have a net operating loss of 250,000. For a startup company, losing a quarter of a million dollars in your first year of business is scary. But remember that the IRS allows companies to utilize this NOL to offset future taxable income, thus reducing your tax liability during a year when you do turn a large profit. Under current IRS regulations, startups can use a net operating loss deduction to offset up to 80% of their future taxes indefinitely until the NOL has been entirely consumed. While an NOL isn't money in the bank, it does have a tangible, measurable benefit. The way to quantify the benefit of this first year NOL is simply multiply it by the federal tax rate of 21%. So $250,000 times 21% equals $52,500. This amount of almost $53,000 is the amount which will be saved in future tax dollars. It also represents the amount of the deferred tax asset that will reside on the balance sheet until the NOL is entirely consumed. Let's fast forward and take a look at ABC's corporate tax return for year two. The company is becoming profitable and reports taxable income of one hundred thousand dollars. ABC is permitted to utilize its first year NOL to offset eighty percent of its taxable income. That means one hundred K minus eighty K equals twenty K of taxable income, when taxed at twenty one percent, produces a federal tax liability of four thousand two hundred dollars. If there was no NOL offset. ABC would have paid $21,000 of income tax. The NOL produced a cash savings of $16,800. The remaining $170,000 of NOL will be carried forward to subsequent tax years until ABC Corp can consume the remaining amount. Utilizing net operating loss deductions help businesses to retain cash during successful years, but nowadays it can be a game changer when it comes to securing funding. Prior to 2018 Tax Cuts and Job Acts, there were limits on the NOL use when ownership changes occurred, something that happens fairly often with the startup space. Now, NOL deductions are protected for the first three years, no matter what happens. This allows budding companies to have more flexibility in venture capital activities from a tax perspective, and they don't have to worry quite as much about ownership changes, and also allows startups to save more money to invest back in their businesses. NOL balances can even be included in pro forma company valuations, ultimately increasing a startup's attractiveness and showing venture capitalists that they have even more to offer in terms of financial returns. And just to put the above in context, large companies used to buy up lost companies for the value just of their NOLs, but eventually the IRS became wise to this and put laws into place called the Section 382 Limitations, which prohibited big companies from trafficking in NOLs and just buying up these loss companies to enjoy their losses to offset their profit. And so the IRS shut all that down. But now in the wake of this most recent legislation, they're providing a little bit more wiggle room and letting startup companies keep those losses, even if they sell themselves to somebody else. And it's an encouragement for new businesses. And most new businesses start up at a loss Even Amazon runs at a loss, but they continue to grow and manufacture value. So that's their business purpose.
0: And how about tax credits, as an example?
1: Another way a company can reduce its tax burden is through tax credits. Tax credits are given to businesses as incentives for certain kinds of activities. For example, businesses can get tax credits for purchasing energy-efficient vehicles or building with eco-friendly products. Usually, a tax credit is offered for a specific year or years. Tax credits are offered because the activities associated with them benefit the economy, the environment, or have other positive business purposes. To see how tax credits work, let's return to our fictional ABC Corporation and its second-year tax return. After utilizing its NOL deduction, ABC still has a liability of $4,200. However, because of new manufacturing processes that were documented and approved by the government, ABC was awarded research and development credits of $27,000. ABC can fully offset the rest of its tax liability by using its R&D credits while carrying the remaining $22,800 credits for utilization in future years. Since credits are dollar-for-dollar reductions of tax expense, The credit carry forward of almost $23,000 will be the amount of the deferred tax asset that will reside on the balance sheet.
0: A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. And by the way, if our listeners want to learn more about R&D, I highly recommend you check out The Fiona Show R&D Tax Credit from Cross-Border Solutions. We've got a ton of great episodes with useful information about the subject and amazing guest experts. Just a little plug... Back to deferreds. Uh, Let's say a company, Michael, sets out to identify, track, and quantify things like temporary adjustments, NOLs, and, and tax credits. Is it a simple calculation or is there more involved?
1: Yeah, there's a lot more involved. And just to put it in context, for gap reporting purposes, any company that undergoes an audit must keep track of their deferreds. The inventory of deferreds reside in the deferred roll forward schedule, which records amounts at the beginning of the year, as well as the current year activity, which is then layered in and summed up to the end of the year amounts. The activity that occurs over the course of the year is the deferred benefit or expense, which is the second part of the provision calculation and is reported on the income statement along with the current provision. The beginning and ending balances of the deferred roll forward schedule represent assets and or liabilities which reside on the balance sheet. These balances roll forward from one year to the next in a continuum which reflects the acquisition and retirement of assets over the course of the business's life. Tracking and calculating deferred assets and liabilities is difficult. While it's fairly straightforward to track NOLs and credits, it can be extremely difficult to keep a handle on the temporary timing differences. Let's take a look at our depreciation example again. For the sake of illustration, we looked at just a single asset, but imagine when companies have thousands of assets that are acquired at different times with different depreciable lives. Adding new assets, retiring old ones, and calculating depreciation expense over the course of their varying lifespans can become extremely complex and onerous. Many asset intensive companies must rely upon software programs to manage the calculation of book and tax depreciation expenses. There are also other challenges to accurately identifying and tracking the deferreds. While there are ample guidelines on what constitutes a deferred and how they should be reported, there's also an element of judgment involved. Management and auditors alike must evaluate their deferred assets and ask themselves, is the stated value of these assets realizable? And let's take ABC Corp as an example again. As a startup company, ABC has experienced some ups and downs in the first few years, but in the last seven years, it experiences nothing but losses. Each of the last seven years that ABC files its income tax return, the losses continue to accrue. We know that NOLs are recorded in the the financials as deferred tax assets because at some point in the future, they will offset taxable income and reduce ABC's overall tax burden. But what happens if ABC is unable to generate future taxable income? What happens if ABC accumulates tens of millions of dollars of NOLs on its balance sheet but ultimately goes out of business? Generally accepted accounting principles, otherwise known as GAAP, require accountants to be a conservative in their approach to financial statement reporting. If it's more likely than not that ABC may go out of business Management and their auditors are required to reevaluate the deferred tax assets and reduce them accordingly. For instance, if ABC Corp is not able to project profit in future years, then it must reduce to zero any NOLs or tax credits that it is carrying as deferred tax assets. This is because ABC must have future taxable income in order to realize these deferred tax assets. The mechanism used to reduce inflated deferred tax assets is known as evaluation allowance. Evaluation allowance is what is known as a contract account to the deferred tax asset account. This means that it is a companion account and its purpose is to identify to what degree the deferred tax asset account has been impaired. It's just like the provision for doubtful accounts. The valuation allowance decreases the book value of the deferred tax asset to a value which the company expects to realize in the future. Deferred tax assets can only be recognized to the extent that there will be future taxable income. If a company is failing and cannot reasonably project any future income, then all deferred tax assets must be reduced to zero.
0: Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show, Cross Border Solutions weekly transfer pricing podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. So Michael, the Sarbanes-Oxley Act has a big impact here. It's also got a wider history. Tell us more about this legislation.
1: Sure. The Sarbanes-Oxley Act came into being in 2002, and it was really a reaction by the government to the Enron scandal. Again, that was in close to the year 2000, a long while ago, but it still resonates today. And the scandal was, is that Enron was so internally sick, if I can say, their finances were in a disastrous strait. and their auditors, which was Arthur Anderson, was their auditors. And Arthur Anderson, as a public accounting firm, it was their job to maintain the public trust and opine correctly on the accuracy, the truthfulness of Enron's financial statements. And at the end of the day, they failed. Arthur Anderson signed off on their financial statements when in fact Enron was internally very, very sick indeed. And at the end of the day, Enron, from one period to the next, Enron started to move towards bankruptcy, which is something that you see very, very, very far in the future. You can see bankruptcy coming from a mile away. It's called, there's a going concern. When a business starts to fail... That's something that an auditor picks up on right away. And then the auditor will flag going ongoing concerns. And because they didn't flag that and they weren't really transparent, and Enron's financial statements looked good on the outside, but in fact, internally, the company was failing. And Arthur Anderson, their public accounting firm, failed to flag that to investors and to analysts and to the market. And when Enron actually did fail, it was a huge scandal and a lot of people lost a lot of money. And out of that failure was born the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. And that's where it just put in another layer of control that the government had and imposed another layer of internal control requirements for both auditors as well as corporate America. And it really sent shockwaves through corporate America. And now everybody's on their best behavior. Everybody needs to be on their best behavior, both from a reporting perspective internally for operations, internal reporting controls. And on the other side of the coin, when the auditors come in, they're also held to a higher standard of evaluation and testing. And the fact that Arthur Anderson, a respected firm, went crashing to the ground was really shocking.
0: It also seems essential then that companies keep all their records in order. Would you say that companies face more scrutiny now than before?
1: Yes. The stakes are high for audited companies when it comes to reporting their tax provision. Not only are the members of the corporate management team keenly interested in the results of business operations, but so are shareholders, analysts, and investors. And as evidenced above with the use of valuation allowance, there can be a need to use one's professional judgment in addition to simply recording deferred assets and liabilities. As many companies struggle to maintain the accuracy of their financial reporting and tax provisions in particular, the need for an automated environment becomes more compelling. Microsoft Excel has been the tool of choice in the past, but the imperative of data security, integrity, and internal consistency is driving companies out of their old Excel environments and into an automated software solution. Additionally, in the wake of Sarbanes-Oxley legislation, audit firms have increased their level of scrutiny in terms of internal controls.
0: And how are tax professionals keeping all of these financial records organized to avoid audits, especially when it comes to complex calculations like a tax provision?
1: Public accounting firms come in and audit their clients on an annual basis and provide an opinion on the accuracy and correctness of the company's financial statements according to GAAP. Company management, investors, and analysts rely upon the auditor's opinion of the financial statements to verify that they are materially correct. The tax provision calculation is subject to the auditor's intense scrutiny. A complex tax provision calculated in an Excel environment is subject to a far greater level of testing and review as opposed to one completed in a controlled environment. Through experience, auditors know that provision calculations done in a software environment produce more accurate results with better quality data. By investing in an automated solution, companies can get a better handle on internal controls, produce more accurate tax provision calculations, and provide auditors with better documentation, which is always a cost saver
0: in the end. Of course, of course. And Michael, I just want to just pause here briefly before we wrap today's episode with just a summary because a lot of this stuff is a lot to take at once, as we both know. But we've learned today that deferreds are comprised of temporary timing adjustments, NOLs, and tax credits. And the trickiest part about deferreds is that there's an element of judgment involved in them. The evidence needs to realistically project future profit to justify the deferred estimate. The best practice is to keep your records in order to avoid audits, especially after legislation has brought greater scrutiny to corporations after the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, and that can be achieved best through automation-backed software. know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. We want to thank Michael for a very informative discussion. If you like this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in cross-border solutions tax podcast suite. That's The Fiona Show R&D Tax Credit and The Fiona Show Transfer Pricing. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's The Fiona Show Tax Provision. And we'll keep you up to date on the latest in tax provision. I'm your host, Matthew DeMello. John Alex Busey is our audio producer. Stephen Markow is our associate producer. Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom is our executive producer. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll catch you next week.